This is a Bible study on chapter 3 of Hebrews, and it's titled in my study Bible, Jesus Greater Than Moses, chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. So I'm going to stop there because if you just picked up Bible study chapter 3, you won't have known that the author of Hebrews is speaking to Jewish believers of Jesus called Hebrews. And um, so these people, the author was writing so that they didn't fall back into their old ways, but remained focused on Jesus so that hopefully makes sense of who this is being written to. Going back to scripture, he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. So God appointed Jesus to do certain things, and he was faithful. Jesus was faithful, um, just as Moses was faithful. So going back to scripture, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. So, it's well, as has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those who Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. 
So this has to do with the land that was promised that they did not receive the land at that time because of unbelief. Well, if you look today, there's still unbelief. So that still is prevalent. Um, The people of Israel, there are some uh, Messianic Jews, but there's still a good portion of the population that doesn't believe yet. And that, and they don't have the land that God promised. And it says that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So even what is today Israel is not as large as what God had promised way back, I guess it was back in Genesis, um, what God had promised to Abraham that still hasn't been fulfilled to this day. And it's, you know, has to do with unbelief. So um, I've read all of chapter three, so we're going to go on to chapter four now. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we all have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we, now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would, have, would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rest from their works, just as God did from his let us therefore make every enter every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience for the word of god is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to the dividing of dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, 
Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's the end of chapter four. So this is, um, there's a lot in here about the Sabbath rest for the people of God. So just what I'm just seeing here for the first time is despite the Jewish traditions of the Sabbath, where there is no work on the Sabbath, they still have not entered God's rest because of their disobedience is what it says. So we're reading this somewhere around 60, it was written 60 to 70 AD, which was 30 to 40 years after Jesus was crucified. And raised from dead, resurrected to God. And so it continually talks about like they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. So they had, the people had the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he defeated death, that he made it possible for all believers to be in God's kingdom. But People still to this day are not believing that Jesus did that. And so they are still in disbelief today. And because of the disbelief, they are not obedient to God's commands because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. They, it, it's a triune God, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they are connected. And to know Jesus is to know God. And Jesus said that no one has seen the face of God except for him who is with him in heaven. And before he came to earth, and that, that was something new that I learned after reading scripture, was I just thought Jesus first arrived when he was born to Mary, but that's not the case. Jesus was in existence at the time of creation and came to earth to help mankind. God sent to earth. God came to earth to defeat death, to make it possible for us to be in God's kingdom. And that's why all the worship and the glory goes to God. That's why all of it, you know, God saved mankind Jesus is the one who did it and was fully obedient, even though he came as a human being by the Spirit of God. He still remained, even as a human, remained obedient to God, did God's will. In fact, just before he was died, this just came to mind as I was talking, he said to God, you know, if if you can take away, he knew what was coming up. He knew the death he was going to face. He knew the pain, the torture that he was going to go through. And he was 
he was feeling it like a human, like a human would. Like if you knew that you were going to be tortured, you were going to have a death that was going to torture you. It wasn't just going to be a quick one. You knew it was going to be very painful. You knew that it was going to be horrible and intense. And knowing that pain that you were going to experience, Jesus is calling out to God, hey, if there's a way to do this some other way, you know, let me know. But if not, I'm going to do your will. And that's what he said before he died. He prayed to God. It said like Jesus was sweating blood. Like he was, it was so intense. And I think there um, there was somebody scientifically that I listened to that was talking about like in an extreme circumstance that could happen to people. And um, that was apparently what was happening to Jesus is that he was, he knew what was coming up. But even knowing what he was going to come up against, he still was obedient and said, not my will, but yours, you know, he, and, and with that act that he did, not the act of the actions that he did, he made it possible for us to share in this amazing kingdom that God's created that will be coming in the future. And when believers who uh, people who believe when they get to that point, I think now it makes it clear like why everyone is worshiping God. When they see, when we see those who believe, when we see what God's created, because we can't even imagine God is so much greater than what our imagination can even come up with. But when we see what God has done and what God has offered to all of us and you know, put before us as a choice, like, here, do you want this? And those who have accepted and will just be so thankful that we made that decision to accept God, that that's where, you know, in these verses where it's saying today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I think back on my past and I think about there were probably times where God was probably reaching out to me. He was probably trying to get my attention, but I was kind of pushing back like, oh, wait later. In fact, there's a parable that's really concerning that Jesus told that um, he was saying, I mean, there's several different things that he said, but in one instance, I can recall some parable that Jesus told that talked about the, basically the call of God to people and people were giving excuses like, I just got married. I just have to do this. I, I I, don't remember what scripture it is, but I can remember this parable where they were, you know, calling to this wedding, asking if people wanted to come to the wedding. And they were giving all these excuses like, I can't right now. I'm busy. I've got this. So then God opened it up, the invitation to all the world. So originally it was the Israelites that were uh, given this opportunity, God's chosen ones, the elect, but then it was opened up to all Jews and Gentiles. So it was this offer opportunity was given, is given to all people. Like it doesn't matter where you are in the entire world. If you're a human, you have this opportunity. If you believe and if you receive the Holy Spirit, then 
you're you're in it. you have to repent of your sin, reject sin, you know, and and want to follow God. But that's it. That's it. And then you're you can rest assured that it, you remain in Christ. You know, you keep it's it's going to be a daily battle to stay away from sin because sin separates us from God. We want to stay connected to God. So, but don't harden your heart. If you feel like God is trying to reach you, don't ignore that. That's the most foolish thing a person can do, especially at this time with the stuff that we see going on in the world. Um, I, in, in some, I, I look at what's happening in the world in two different ways. In one way, I just want it to accelerate to get it over with so that we can be in God's kingdom. But in another way, I don't want it to happen for a long time because I know a lot of people are not prepared. And so it's kind of like, I have both feelings about it. Um, But whenever it happens, it happens. And in the time from now till when it happens, the most important thing that anybody who believes and knows this is true can do is to hopefully get more people to get their eyes opened and not harden your heart when somebody approaches you with the good news about Jesus and what he did. Uh, Don't walk away from that. If you don't believe it, try to get your questions answered. Go to scripture, start reading scripture, start praying every single day. And when you wake up, before you go to sleep, pray, ask God, to give you wisdom, to make things clear, to guide you, um, to make you understand. Ask for all of that. God gives that to people who sincerely want that. And just to make it clear about where you stand with God. Um, Scripture will tell us where we are, what is sin, what's not sin. Um, So if you read Scripture, you're going to find out. Start searching, you know, whatever it is that you do in your life and see what God says about it. It's in scripture. You can find it. That's what I did. I had a lot of questions about what's right and wrong. Is this just a church rule? You know, I, you know, I know there's lots of different churches, so I kind of dismissed some things thinking it was a church rule. But then when you look in scripture and you see, what does God say? God is the ultimate. When you realize who God is, when you really know God, it makes such a difference and your questions will be answered through scripture. So I'm going to get back to scripture because I'm talking too much. So um, let's see, this is, we're on chapter five. I'm going to try this short one too. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. That's interesting. So anyone who is aware and really knows God and is a believer and has no fear of death, then we are to deal gently. Well, I'm not saying that we like this is talking about a high priest where that's not all of us, but, um, but the same would probably apply to people who know is to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. 
you're not going to get anybody by beating them over the head with the Bible. And I know when I first, I think I probably did that to people and I wasn't doing it in a judgmental way. I was doing it in a way out of concern for them. And um, that's something that is a really good point here. Be gentle with people. Anyone who believes and who's received the Holy Spirit will acknowledge that before receiving the Holy Spirit, before truly believing that we were a mess, we were sinful, we were avoiding God, we were rebellious, um, some more than others. And, um, and so there's no way that anyone who has done that themselves can look at anyone else and and be like superior to them or anything like that, because we all came from the same place. We have nothing but God's mercy to be thankful for, to be thankful that God is way more forgiving than any of us would ever be to anyone, that he is compassionate, that he loved us even when we were in rebellion against him, when we were, you know, in our sin, just, being so hurtful to God when we didn't even, maybe we didn't even realize that. I'm sure we really didn't, but God did. God knew what we were doing. God saw what we were doing and he knew we were far from him and we were not close to him. And he, you know, think about that in a relationship with anyone that you, that you love. If there's someone that you love, just think about that person just rejecting you over and over and over again but yet you still love them. And that's what God had to do with each and every one of us before we became born again, as Jesus described, before we repented and received the Holy Spirit. So that's what God was dealing with, with all of us. So going back to scripture, um, this is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the sins of the people. I'm going to stop right there because just now when I read this, all of a sudden I had a thought and this explains stuff to me. So I'm going to read it again. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the sins of the people. This is talking about the high priest and the high priest role and explaining why the high priest has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, because he's a sinner, as well as for sins of the people. Okay, this is important, because when we go back to the prophets, the book of the prophets, there's Ezekiel chapters, I believe, 40 through 45, explain the third temple. The third temple is a real physical building. All you have to do is read chapters 40 through 45. This was a vision that God gave to Ezekiel and said, write this down, take note, make sure that this gets passed on. So Ezekiel was obedient. He listened to God. He wrote down all these things and he described a temple. Today, if you want to search online, search the Temple Institute and learn about the Third Temple. 
The third temple's plans have already been done. They're completed in accordance with Ezekiel's prophecy. So they're already drawn up. All of the components that need to go into the third temple have been acquired and are in storage somewhere, I presume. And everything is kind of ready for this third temple to be built. But the interesting thing is that as you read Ezekiel 40 through 45, I always had the question of, when is this? Well, we know everything is prepared for this to happen, but it does seem like this temple is going to be in the millennial, the millennium. And the reason I say that is because of other scripture giving us this clue. So it gets back to this high priest that we just read about. So the high priest makes sacrifices for himself and for the people. So if we go back to Ezekiel, there is a high priest, and it talks about um, a person who does this, who offers a, he sacrifices a bull for his sins and for the other sins. And the first time I read it, I thought that was, I thought this, um, priest that was Jesus is what I thought it was. But then I realized when it said for his sins and for all the people, I was like, no, that can't be Jesus because Jesus is sinless. He doesn't need to atone for his sins. So it's someone else. And then in reading scripture, I found that it was David. And if it's David, the David of the Old Testament this is what I think, what I believe, what I got from scripture is that at the resurrection, when Jesus returns, those who have the Holy Spirit with them, when they died, those people will be raised when Jesus returns. So when Jesus returns, David from the past will be raised because it says something in scripture about David will be my prince forever. It it talks about the prince. It doesn't call him the high priest. It calls him the prince. And it says the prince will make an offering for, I think it's a bull offering for himself and for the others. So I believe this is during the millennial reign of Christ that David is going to be living again and present. And the purpose is for all the Jewish people. And All of these things that happened in the past were all symbolic to point to Jesus. I don't fully understand why there would be sacrifices. Um, Someone did give an explanation of it that really made a lot of sense. Um, But, you know, because we we know that Jesus provided the last, you know, there's no need for any further sacrifices because Jesus... um, Atone, made atonement for all of us who believe. But if these people, and we know there's going to be people that don't believe, so perhaps because they don't believe, they this is the this okay. This just came to mind. Um, the explanation that another person gave um, was that because they are not yet believers, they do not have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if they do not have the Holy Spirit, they are not covered or protected by Jesus. 
So this is before eternity happens. And so in order, this is a theory. It's not, it's not fact. It's a, it's drawing facts and a conclusion based on the facts. So it's a theory, but these people during the millennium will have sacrifices because they are not yet believers. And the sacrifices are a temporary um, atonement or a covering, maybe a covering of them until they become believers, perhaps. So that's only a theory, but that would be an explanation of why there could possibly be sacrifices in the millennium. And the only reason why I think it's in the millennium is because it talks about David being the prince forever and David certainly isn't, and I think um, one of the this question and answer Bible says something about um, Jesus being that person, you know, because he was a descendant of David, and that's why it's the Prince Forever. But as I read Scripture, that's not doesn't make it doesn't make sense because there's that verse in the about the third temple that says that the prince sacrifices a bull, I believe, or makes a sacrifice for himself and for the people. So that is a sinful person. And just like this is talking about, it's a high priest is selected from among the people, appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for for sins. And he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. Well, Jesus isn't subject to weakness. Um, Jesus is God. So this is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. Something to think about. So in the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. So that's interesting. But God said to him, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus's life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So this is all really interesting. There's a lot of things in here. Um, But, you know, God submitted... Jesus submitted his will to the Father. And I, after reading this, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. If Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered, don't you think maybe we learn obedience by what we suffer? There's always a consequence of sin. And we will have consequences for our sins when we are sinful. And by that, once we have those consequences, we 
certainly learn it's much better to be obedient to God than to be disobedient and suffer the consequences. It's just like a child, too. If children have consequences for bad actions, they tend not to do them if the consequences are concerning enough to them. That's why it's, you know, it also says that God disciplines his children. So just like a loving parent would discipline their child to keep them from bad behavior or not even bad behavior from maybe life-saving behavior, like teach them to obey so that they don't run across the street when a car is coming and they could be hit to keep them alive. That's just like God's trying to keep us alive by And us being obedient to God, if we listen to God and God said, don't cross the street right now, there's a car coming, just like parents do, God's doing the same thing to us. Or if we just say, oh, God, I'm not going to listen to you. I want to do this right now. I want whatever's over there. And we go and we get hit. So that's the consequence. And it's just, it's as simple as that. That anyway, um, So Jesus became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So Jesus, this is about obedience. That's not how we get to heaven, but you can't separate obedience. It's it's all throughout the Bible. If we aren't obedient, we are rebellious to God. We are rejecting God. So you can't separate obedience from salvation. It's just... We don't do it to get salvation. Jesus did that for us. But because Jesus did that for us, because we believe, we obey. Because if we believe, we know that disobedience separates us from God. So if we don't want to be separated from God, that means we have to obey. So that's why obedience and salvation go hand in hand. If you're not obeying God, are you really saved? Are you really trying to obey God? Not that we're going to be perfect because everybody has slip-ups, but do you have the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit guiding your life? And if the Holy Spirit is not guiding your life, then the time is to ask for forgiveness of whatever you're doing that you know is separating you from God And ask God to take over that, to help that part of your life, that aspect of your life that you're struggling with. That's the only way that we get through anything. We have to remember that with God, all things are possible. On our own, we're not going to be able to do it. And that's one of the things that God hates is pride. Pride is when we think we don't need God and we can do it on our own. We think, oh, I've got it figured out. I can do this. I I got this. I don't need God. That's pride. God hates that. That separates us. The pride is sinful. Pride is the reason that the devil was or Satan was cast out of God's kingdom. It that's why he's separated from God. So we know and we know it it literally says, I was the first time that I saw that God hates seven things. I thought Okay, God's supposed to be a God of love. How can he hate? It really makes sense, though, if there is there are opposite things. So you can love what is good and hate what is bad. 
And that's the way God is. God hates things. And he has seven things that he hates. So if you, I don't, I don't recall all of them, but it's like, oh, it's, I think there's like gossip is in there. Um, hands that kill innocent things. Like, so that's abortion, um, murder, you know, obviously killing of any sort. Um, or even as Jesus said, as simple as malicious words against someone, like we can kill somebody with our words, we can hurt someone with our words. And that's how Jesus made it like God hates that. Um, and anybody who lies, God hates that. That's another one. Uh, I can't think, but search it on an electronic Bible. Um, God hates or the seven things God hates or something that are detestable to him uh, gives a list of all of those things. Anyway, I'm going to finish chapter five. We're almost there. So um, it says, warning against falling away. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So that's the goal for all of us to be a mature, mature Christian. And apparently, as we just read this verse, it's the teaching about righteousness, um, about striving to be a righteous person, to be obedient to what God asks, what God commands, not really ask. He, he tells us, he's like, he's like, this is the path to life and this is the path to death. Are you going to obey? Are you going to listen to me? And like the Ten Commandments are guardrails to keep you on that narrow path that leads to eternity, that leads to living in God's kingdom. If you're breaking any of the Ten Commandments, you're not on the right path, and that needs to be changed. So we need to ask for forgiveness from God, and thankfully, he's a very forgiving person. And then we need to make our, you know, ask for the Holy Spirit to help us so that we don't do that again that keep us on the right path and stay in the word of God. But about how we live, we must live the way God commands. And apparently that has to, when people realize that it has to do with being mature in the spirit and being able to distinguish good from evil. So that should be the goal of everyone. And the only way that we get to that point is through the Holy Spirit, who does the work within us, by reading also, by reading scripture, where we learn more every day we read, and by praying and God revealing certain things to us, God answering our prayers, God um, putting people in our lives that bring us closer to God. Um, all those things, God, those who encourage us in our faith and who are supportive of keeping us closer to God, 
those are all things the way that God works with people because his will, there's somewhere in scripture, and I should memorize where that verse is, but it, his will is for all to believe and therefore for all of us to be in his kingdom. He loves everybody. God wants everybody, but not everybody loves God. The people who don't love God are the ones who are disobedient, who are rebellious because they're not showing God. You show people you love, you show someone else that you love them by your actions. So if Jesus told us, if you love me, obey my commands, then it's very clear that if we're not obeying God's commands, we're not showing God love. So what spirit is leading us? It wouldn't be the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is working within people to make them more like Jesus and to keep people away from sin that separates us from God. The whole thing is we don't want to be separated from God. We want to inherit the kingdom of God to live with Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, live in eternity and have this life that is no longer broken that all we experience is joy. There's no tears. There's no sadness. There's just beauty. Read Revelation 21 and 22, because that gives a little bit of description of what God's kingdom is going to be like. And it talks about like semi-precious stones being the foundation and talks about streets of, I don't know if it's in there, but I think it's streets of gold even. Like something like unimaginable, something that we just don't have here today. And we have lots of pretty cities around the world and lots of pretty places, but nothing will compare to God's kingdom. God's going to one-up everybody because no one can do what God can do. And it's going to be this amazing place. And we only get glimpses of it in scripture, but just knowing who God is, how loving he is, how forgiving he is, how merciful he is, all we can know is that it's going to be great. And God wants that for us. So please, if, you know, depending on where you are in your belief, keep pursuing God. And if you are 100% on fire for God, please help other people around you, people that you love to, you know, stay with them until they can be, well, it does say that you know, it's not people's responsibility to make sure that they go from point A to part, point B. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But if there's anyone that is receptive to hearing about Jesus and that you can encourage and bring along in faith, if you have faith like that, make sure that you're not keeping it all to yourself that you are bringing others with you. Um, it says that, you know, the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner turns away from that. It's just one more child of God. Um, think about, you know, how much we love our families and how much we want our families to be together and we, or we care about our children and, and all of that. Just think about that love that we feel and we're imperfect people. Think about how perfect God's love is. 
for all of us. And God's desire to have all his children together in the future. And that's what God wants us to do in our own, to be a part in some way to help other people. That's like the greatest goal of everything is for other people to, for ourselves and other people to be in God's kingdom. So think about what you can do as your part to be a servant to God for all that he's done for us.